Have you ever looked forward to something big? Maybe it was a, a special birthday, or it was the chance to visit family that you hadn't seen in a while. Because that one, that's one that kind of comes up to the surface a little bit more these last two years. Maybe it was just the chance to get to see a friend smile with their mouth instead of just smiling with their eyes. For me, one of the big thing, biggest things I looked forward to when I was, I was a little older than Andrew, obviously, was the day that I first arrived at college. Now, there were many reasons that I looked forward to um, moving into 236 Manchester. First off, I made it. Which, if you knew me back in high school, if somebody would have placed a bet that I would have made it into college, they would be like hand over fist millionaire right now. Because the odds were not in my favor. I looked forward to it because it was my first time living away from home. I had that whole 18 and free mentality kind of going on. But there were also wise people in my life. Mentors, um, teachers, who knew my story and knew just how big this event was going to be. That day that I got to, to go away to college. Not just because I was moving two hours away, but because it was a huge, huge part of my growth journey. I bet they looked forward to it just as much as I did. One of them even got to be there on that trip, moving in my boxes and all my stuff into that room. Our friend for today, to carry on the theme that we've been building over the last few weeks, um, Simeon has been well, he certainly wasn't college age. He was, as well, getting on in years, to use that nice politically correct term. He waited for this Messiah that had been promised far longer than I waited for college. And he knew, he knew that that first Christmas was going to be so much more than just a new baby moment. So check out his story that comes up um, in a little section of Luke 2, verses 25 through 35. It goes like this. Yes, this is the one you have in your bulletin. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. One, one writer says, 
that decades of life were contained just within about three verses. Simeon is one of those kind of unsung heroes. We don't know a whole lot about him. But we know he was righteous. We know he was devout. We know he was looking forward to the consolation of, of Israel. The Holy Spirit rested on him. And we thought we could do a whole series just on the Holy Spirit rested on him. Revealed by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit. But maybe that's for another advent. And he has one thing. As a man, getting along in years a little bit, he's got some maturity to him. One thing on his bucket list. As I'm sure there were for generations before him, to see the Lord's Messiah. To see, as he puts it, the salvation of Israel. Maybe even to hold him in his hand. Especially in a time when Israel had thought God had left. All that radio silence and, and Rome is looming over Israel. Um, and imposing the taxes on them. Imposing the just tyranny all over them. And if it's not Rome, then they're just cycling through. Egypt? Hey, it's your turn to take over Israel and, and make their life bad. If it's not them, hey, let's bring in the Babylonians. We'll use them. And if it's not them, hey, let's get the Assyrians in there and, and overthrow Israel a little bit. All these world empires are just like hip-checking uh, Israel all over the world. And, you know, after generations of this, you get kind of tired of it. I mean, I'm a younger brother. I know the annoyingness of getting hip-checked all around the, the world. I, my sister had a, a big anniversary the other day, and she asked me, you know, I was seven years old when she got married, and, and she's like, do you, what do you remember about the wedding? And I remember, I remember getting airborne as my cousin hip-checked me across the dance floor. And she's like, 30-some-odd years ago, that's what you remember? Yeah. It gets old. I'm guessing they would have all but given up hope that, that the Messiah was going to come, that God was still with them. And that idea, um, this, uh, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, that comfort of the Messiah that would eventually bring, that the comfort that the Messiah would eventually bring to the people of Israel. And it's seen in a moment in, in Isaiah's prophecy, after God had been silent for so long, in Isaiah 40, 1 and 2, Comfort, O comfort, says my, comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that she has served her term, her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And when it seems like all hope should be lost, Isaiah, guided by the Spirit, is told that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. Now, being one getting on in years, I'm guessing... And after all this radio silence, I'm guessing Simeon's like, all right, might as well sit tight. I guess I'm going to be alive for a while. This could be a, a long journey. But I'm guessing, even in the, the midst of all that 
silence that he didn't doubt. That he knew eventually he would get that chance. So how about us? I'm not suggesting that any of us are going to be led by the Spirit to hear we will not die until we experience the second coming of Christ. Maybe. I mean, God pulls this kind of stuff off. Anything is really on the table. I made it to college. Anything is on the table. But, what about a promise that he does give to believers that we can all experience the fulfillment of? Out of Matthew 21, whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. Matthew 21, verse 22. So, let the record show that's straight out of Scripture, not out of my idea. Now, I'm certainly one, as I hope you guys would know over the, the years, I'm not one to advocate a vending machine God. Um, but if we are walking strong, and we pray God answers prayer according to His good and pleasing and perfect will, as Paul says in Romans. And if we're walking strong, we are... That's something that we're desiring. And it's always a work in progress that we are desiring it more and um, you're not quite getting so distracted with maybe our way of thinking that life ought to go. But eventually, as we mature, God's perfect will and our will start to line up and, and as God answers prayer according to that will, we're like, all right, let's go. So let's put this to the test. When it comes to a crisis moment, where in our order of operations does falling to our knees come in? Is If it's the first thing we do when something goes wrong and we need an answer to prayer, is prayer the first place we go? Well, that says a lot. If prayer is the last place we go, and we go through all the other options, and I'm at wit's end, let me pray now. Well, that says a lot, too. Sorry to make that move, move it closer to you, Dave. <laughs> I use prayer as an example, but Simeon's whole life is a, a picture, a case study in promises made because promises kept. That that one day is going to come when he's going to get to hold the Messiah, the salvation of Israel in his hands. As he is, as Jesus is brought to the temple after his birth. But the prophets don't just speak about his birth. As Isaiah had said, um, they read earlier, that a child has been born for us, a son given to us, who will be named mighty, mighty count, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophet Isaiah says. But the prophets also talk about how that salvation is going to take place. And Simeon pulls no punches when he shares that part of the story with Mary and Joseph. The next two verses after the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him and all that he would would be and was. Then, verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling 
and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Here's a little word to the wise, I guess. When one of the first things said about your child, who's probably eight days old right now, when the first thing said about him involves words like falling and opposed and sword and pierce, you know there's something way bigger than just a new baby moment going on. And Peter eventually says something similar after Jesus had been born and done all that he does. To you then who believe, he, Jesus, is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. In other translations, the cornerstone. And a stone that makes them stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That stone that the builders rejected. To run with Simeon's words a little bit is referring back to Jesus Christ. Used as a metaphor, if you will. And, you know, Isaiah says in um, Isaiah 53, he talks about how that salvation is going to take place. Simeon is, is talking about the piercing and the, the falling and rising of many. And Peter is talking about the, the cornerstone being rejected. Well, all these other people are talking about this kind of doom and gloom of the Easter gift, or the Christmas gift. Jesus himself kind of starts to say similar. Confirms the idea. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. Matthew 10.34 I have to admit, this has always been one of those troubling concepts to hear. Um, that Jesus, the one who, who, amongst the four titles that he's given, wonderful counselor, sounds great. Mighty God, alright, we can roll with that. Everlasting Father, cool. Prince of Peace, who's going to bring not peace, but a sword. How does this work? This is where I said scratch my head. I'm like, this is where we've got to dig a little bit. That's why I call this, um, this message the bookend of prophecy, because we have the nice, sweet Norman Rockwell scene and, and, you know, dismiss your servant in peace for my bucket list is finally complete and I've gotten to hold the salvation of Israel in my hands to he's destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Two bookends, almost extremes, referencing how this God-made man is going to exist in the world. Now, this isn't to say Jesus advocates, to, to go to Matthew's passage, this isn't to say Jesus advocates violence, saying, I'm here not to bring peace, but a sword. But, little Bible study tip where you'll step out of the passage for a second. The Bible often has both descriptive, de-scriptive passages, 
and prescriptive passages. P-R-E-scriptive. Descriptive is describing how things are. Warts and all. Okay? Violence is happening all over Wayne County. Descriptive. Just objectively describing how things are. Doesn't mean I advocate it. Doesn't mean I condone it. Just means, hey, this is how stuff is. You look at a lot of the dark passages of the Old Testament and how can a loving God um, have all this bloodshed and war and, and violence and stuff like that. Doesn't mean God's condoning it. Just means God's describing it. This is what the picture looks like. And then there's prescriptive passages. How things ought to be. Let's attain, go for peace. Let's go for unity across Wayne County, to use my other example. So let's look at this as kind of a descriptive passage. This is the way stuff plays out, objectively viewing life, if you will. Because the fact is, faith in Jesus can bring division. It can bring division in families, among friends, sometimes even among spouses and nuclear families. I happen to be the first in my family to, um, to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. And while my family had all practiced faith for, love them as I do, for 45 minutes once a week on Sunday morning, um, that's kind of about where it ended. And so, having been raised in that kind of setting, and then when I went to college and lived in 236 Manchester, as you saw, that was where I accepted Christ. And going home and eventually telling my family, I want to go to a church that's different than the one I grew up in. And one that happened to be a Protestant church. That, there was some tension going on at home for a couple of years. Thankfully, over the years it is eased and all, but there was a place of division that Jesus brought, not peace because I had accepted him as my Lord and Savior, but a sword, something that slices, something that splits, something that divides. And Simeon lays it out. Not to put words in his mouth, but basically there's no fence riding allowed when it comes to Jesus. Here comes the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. And although on Christmas morning he literally probably could have fit in that little um, little manger that we have on display. Basically he comes in saying every square inch of the universe is mine. Well there's many in the world both today in the 21st century and back then in a very literal sense, that have kind of a Roman approach to it. This is my house. This is my land. You're not going to come in here and, and king of kings, lord of lords me. I'm king of this hill. Let's just say it doesn't go too well for them. I mean, he is claimed uh, as 
Isaiah said, his authority shall grow continually. Authority shall rest upon his shoulders. There's no, there's no getting to ride the fence about that. Is he going to be Lord of Lords, or are you going to experience the business end of Lord of Lords? Others come, not as the Roman, this is my house kind of attitude, but as the willing servant. The one who says, yes, you are Lord, you are King. It's a title that sounds like it is so, why in the world would we take it on? But Simeon takes it on like a badge of honor. Paul would eventually take it on as a badge of honor, constantly opening up his, his um, letters. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a, a slave to Christ. Glad that fell that way and not this way. <laughs> and Paul, who, who makes that, that claim, who wears that badge, he says it often, and he says in Romans 6, for those who have allowed him to be king of kings, lord of lords, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, faith can be that, that line in the sand. Again, between family, as I shared in my story, friends, as somebody goes from practicing, you know, living life the, by the way of the world to living life the way Christ calls us to, sometimes that's like, hey, friends saying, hey, I want to go to the bars four nights a week. Why don't you want to join us? Well, if you're going to be this Christian, well, I don't want to hang out with you when there's division and piercing. And again, depending on a person's story, some get married and then one person accepts Christ and there, there becomes division even among spouses. And Simeon says, even down to the inner thoughts of each person being revealed and, and um, the writer of Hebrews will say that even to the place where um, a person's soul becomes divided between spirit and um, spirit and sinew. It's like, which side of the fence are you going to call home? It'd be great if it stopped there. But Simeon takes that prophecy stick and he points it straight at a young teenage woman named Mary.
Maybe I've grown soft over the last 10 years plus, but I struggle just to have my kids having a fever, let alone the idea of uh, being told in not so many words your child will be rejected, opposed, murdered by the very people he left heaven to come save. But play this out with me. Jesus is one week old as Simeon gets to hold him in his hands and he knows how it's going to go. Isaiah knew about the birth, something to celebrate, and the death in graphic imagery. And when the Holy Spirit rested on these prophets, God knew what he was doing. God knew what it would cost. And yet that knowledge, despite that knowledge, we still have a Christmas to celebrate. Simeon could still hold the salvation of the world, past, present, future, in his arms. That redefines Christmas joy for me. How about you? Let's pray together. Lord, yes, we want to hang on to the front end of this story. The nice imagery, the, the baby and the manger and the shepherds and the star and the magi and all the Norman Rockwellness of it all. But ultimately we know that Christmas joy is because of where the story was going to lead. That ultimately, the thing that kept us from you, sin, was going to be dealt with once and for all. So thank you for counting the cost and still being willing to pay it. Thank you, Lord. Amen.